You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is Eli Steenledge. With me today is... Jeremy Holiday. Hey, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode where we're going to talk about just the film uh, Silence by Martin Scorsese. So we had a chance to see that lately, and we just wanted to share a few thoughts about it. I think mainly we're... Even like weeks later, I'm still kind of working through what I think about it mm-hmm. um, completely, so I thought we'd just kind of talk through it on the show. That and sounds great, Eli. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um... So we'll kind of explore it and, uh, and see what we think, have a few thoughts. So first of all, I'll just kind of give you some, some background on it. This is uh, a, based on a book by a Japanese author, and this is something that Scorsese had been trying to work on, I think, at least get going for at least a decade. Um, I had read the book and trying to get it going with different, uh, different actors and, and, uh, production teams and things like that. So finally got it made. I feel like it kind of snuck out there. I'd been hearing about it for a few years and then they said it was coming out in 2016 and I think there was not even a trailer till November and then it came out in December. So, um, I feel like it kind of snuck up on people. Hasn't really done that well, uh, in theaters and I think was only nominated for one Academy Award. Um, what 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 was it nominated for? Uh, it was best use of mist. Best use, <laughs> yeah, the mist effect. It might have been one of the actors, maybe Andrew Garfield. Hmm. I think it was Andrew. No, best supporting. No, I think Lee. he was actually nominated for uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Maybe. Hmm. Um, I think it was some more technical, <clears throat> like sound editing or something like that. Uh, anyway, so I uh, we saw it together, Jeremy. In we the did. Theater. And I was a little uh, torn on what I thought about it, I think. I, coming away, I was not as impressed, first of all, as I thought it would be. Um, in general, I'm a pretty big Scorsese fan and go along with what, uh, what he does. Um, and I was mentioning earlier, this is one normally I think Scorsese is pretty good on rewatchability. Um, yeah. I really like going back and rewatching his films. This yep. one, I felt like I really don't need to see it ever again. And I mean, part of that is kind of the the subject matter and how hard it is to watch um, people being tortured and killed and things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, I mean, I didn't really like the film. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I um, uh, like Scorsese's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm also hit or miss. Like, um, I hate The Departed. I really don't like it. I, 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 I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, it blows my mind that like he won for best. Was it best director or best? I think he won for best director. Best director. Yeah. Um, and it's. I mean, like that. in my mind, he just it's he won that for Goodfellas, which is just an absolutely right. fabulous right. film. He's, he's getting from old, beginning maybe to end. He won't be. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and like again, I don't remember so. what was up. The year Goodfellas was up, mm-hmm. but like he should have won for that. It, it's a, like I could watch yeah. that. That's that's yeah. that like Goodfellas passes my like um, uh, stranded on a desert island test. Yeah. Like if I had one movie that I had to watch for the rest of my life, Goodfellas would be just fine. Yeah. Right? You know, 
Um, you know, there's some like some of those masterful long shots, the timing, that mm-hmm. like the the pace of like the incident with the Joe Pesci. You know, yeah. like it's just great. It's got so much good stuff in it. You know, like stirring the sauce, getting the guns to Jimmy. Like it has, mm-hmm. you know, it spans decades. It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, like I like um, I like uh, I really like Mean Streets. Mm-hmm. Like one of his first or second film. Yeah. Um, captures a lot of the gritty city with a little bit of violence mm-hmm. and like the philosophical things that he does. Right. I don't like Taxi Driver. Um, mm, I love Taxi. I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know, I do. And maybe like I mean, I saw it. You know, I didn't see it when it came out, or yeah. you know, I saw it like when I was in college. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, ooh, like, I don't like this character, and, like, why are we watching him? And I know we're, I, apparently we're not supposed to be sympathetic to him, but, mm-hmm. like, I, it's a, it's a feeling I got sometimes, like, I'm watching, like, Errol Morris films. Like, mm. I'm not entirely sure that, like, the person making the film and the person, and me watching the film were on the same page about right. how we're supposed to feel about what we're looking at. Yeah, and I think the, the writer and Martin Scorsese have said that. Like, people come up to him, and they're like, Travis Bickle is my hero, and they're like, no, he's not supposed to be a hero. He's, he's supposed to be somebody we feel sad about like that yeah. there's people left alone like this that are lonely and go to bad places so, yeah. yeah um you know and uh oh yeah i mean i didn't like gangs of new york i do think like the scene when um leonardo DiCaprio goes to assassinate daniel day lewis is mm-hmm. like just absolutely beautiful yeah from beginning to end it's it, i mean it's yeah. like you could it's like a whole movie in and of itself and right. it looks different it feels different and it's just mm-hmm. great i don't like the rest of it I think, uh, I, although I say I probably won't watch Silence again, I, I saw Gangs of New York in the theater. Yeah. Wasn't that impressed. And then watched it later um, again and actually like appreciated it a lot more. And I think the very end for me changed things too after I thought about it. Because mm-hmm. it kind of became like, hey, there's these bigger events happening. Yeah. These little gang wars. And that isn't very important maybe compared to the bigger picture of things. So I, I appreciated that aspect more. But yeah. I do feel like it's... It certainly got its problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, in like, The Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. I think it's just a great film. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the book is very, very good. Yeah. The movie is also a very, very good telling of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Willem Dafoe cuts a, a, a great Christ. <laughs> right. um, you know, Judas is awesome. You know, I mean, I feel like it, it captures, like, the, 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 the essential elements of that story, of that yeah. philosophical conundrum, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's well shot. It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, you know, and, uh, you know, when I was learning about film in school, I mean, there's just like, there's like camera work and then there's like Scorsese camera work. You mm-hmm. know I mean? He has such a, yeah. such a unique style that mm-hmm. it's um, great. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's singular in the in mm-hmm. the way that he does things. Um, yeah, those are my like highs and lows of Martin Scorsese. I mean, I was excited. I, I think I had, I had seen like part of the trailer of Silence, Silence like on yeah. the internet or something. Mm-hmm. On like a theme or a film theme website before you asked me to go, um, and in general, like I mean, part of my uh, academic background is as a, you know, like a, a student of like comparative religions or comparative theology. So I yeah. I find like the colonial encounter and mm-hmm. different religious encounters really interesting, mm-hmm. um, and so the you know and uh, Japan at this time period it all yeah. seemed like a really interesting setup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called silence, <laughs> um, and it it you know it. It looked cool. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the dilemma for me and how I felt about it was, uh, like, compared to The Last Temptation Last Temptation of Christ, where I think it brought Scorsese's, like, uh, liveliness and energy in his filmmaking to that story, where normally we see, you know, portrayals of Christ and they're very, like... Um, 
stoic and kind of have to be respectful of this. And here we see, like, them, like, kicking butt in biblical <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, like, they're getting stuff done with the disciples. And I remember the shot where they're just kind of walking through the desert and there's, like, these growing crowds. Yeah. And it's just, like, you feel that story in a much different way yeah. than you've ever felt it before with a lot more energy. Yeah. And so I was expecting to have that kind of not necessarily the same feel, but the energy that Scorsese brings to this story of silence as well. And I think I had to kind of re-negotiate uh, my expectations of that because it is called silence. So after I saw the film, I had to realize, like, well, it felt kind of dry and plotting, but maybe that was his intention in some way. Like, oh, with yeah, that, yeah. To give it a very much, like, feel of the kind of silence and... Um, emptiness that these characters were feeling and things like that he was trying yeah. to display that through his style but i still miss some of his his verb you know yeah yeah i mean i i feel that i mean my uh my complaints about it stem mm-hmm. not from like the style like mm-hmm. i mean it, like i said it looks great there's a yeah. lot of use of like you know two-dimensional space becoming three-dimensional space mm-hmm. there's a lot of like people coming into and out of shots yeah um he uses a lot of static uh you know which Shut is down. like i mean um, static shots, people moving in and out, mm-hmm. um, not a lot of excessive camera movement. Yeah. Um, which to me, like, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about this, but like to me, that's like a Japanese style. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, like, um, I know I've saw almost all the films of Yashijiro Ozu mm-hmm. when they showed here at the Cinematheque at UW Madison. Yeah. Um, and like, I probably saw like 35 of his films before I <laughs> before saw him move the camera. He was one shot. Like, oh my right. gosh, the camera's moving. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, you know, and so I, you know, it's a, it's an interesting contemplative approach to people in space creating yeah. tableaus with them it's very painterly i think in the yeah, japanese yeah. painting tradition yeah of, you know the misty mountains and, and yeah yeah like it all stuff. um my problem is the, is the story mm-hmm. um uh i also i mean from the very beginning i'm like i'm interested that yeah. our characters are going to seek this person i mm-hmm. i love stories that start with like an absence you know like right. we, we, we we're, we're this character is super interesting mm-hmm. we need to go find him it's like heart of darkness yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and that that's great yeah. um except that i i don't really care all that much about the mission of bringing christianity to japan mm-hmm. um it seems pretty clear I, you know i don't know much about it. i don't know much about this particular time period historically yeah. Yeah. it seems like japan doesn't care and they don't want them there <laughs> um, which i know understand yeah. that catholic church is yeah, encountered yeah. other places yeah um you know, it's a, it's an interesting world, torture, whatnot, that we get put into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the details of what goes on with these two guys as they go is not particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is. Yeah. Um, but I sort of with, withheld my, like, okay, so we're, we're waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, they yeah. haven't yet gone to the city and yeah. met the guy. Right. And they go to the city and meet the guy, mm-hmm. um, have an interesting encounter. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't... This is Liam Neeson's Yeah, we meet Liam Neeson's character, the character, yeah. the priest. Mm-hmm. You know, he has apostatized. He's given up his faith. He has right. a Japanese name. He's writing a book about how Christianity is bad. And, mm-hmm. and you know, he presents us, um, you know, our protagonist with this very ambiguous portrayal of his situation. Mm-hmm. He seems that he's not a Christian anymore, but maybe he is. He's, he's right. sort of disinterested. He's not sure why he's there. He's not angry, really, but he's not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, like, I, I delight... In mm-hmm. that, you know, on the satisfactoriness, like mm-hmm. I, I, again, like I, I, I love greatly like disappointment. Right. Um, and I like um, playing with our boredom. Mm-hmm. Like you, we totally expect this to be here <laughs> and we get here and 
It's not there. It's not, yeah. Um, but it doesn't really go anywhere after that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, our, our main character goes through some troubles. He apostatizes. Mm-hmm. And then the movie keeps going on, and we follow him to his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this big climactic part at the end where... You know he's in. He's being burned. You know he's being burned cremated, up, and there's like this religious icon that he's holding in his mm-hmm. hand. That his um, puts in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I mean, I don't know what I'm. I, it, yeah. it wasn't really meaningful. I'm like, oh, he kept his faith, right. um, which is not. Uh, it didn't seem in doubt. You know, I mean, like right. I, I didn't. We didn't get. What well, I mean, we didn't get him like talking about how he wasn't Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. I mean, like we yeah. maybe it happens elsewhere, but I mean, there's no reason. I mean. Well, I mean, we do get at the beginning of that last section. We'll, we'll work back through some of this, but that last section, at least my understanding, when he first kind of like apostatizes and kind of sides with uh, Liam Neeson, and they're sort of working together to expose, yeah. you know, these Christians coming into the country yeah. and things like that. At that point, I was feeling like, okay, he's just like done with Christianity. He's given in, like um, Liam Neeson's character. Uh, so for me at that point, I do feel like that's what I thought. Like, he had lost his faith. Like, he had sort of been beaten. Yeah. I mean, it starts to kind of build back to, like, oh, we're, we're putting on a show. We have this secret faith that we're still holding Yeah, yeah, to. but there's, 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 like, the weight of minutes that plays yeah. against that. I mean, yeah. like, it's a long film. Mm-hmm. We spend a whole lot of time of them in these villages. Yeah. And that scene you're talking about when they're going through and sorting through these artifacts mm-hmm. is, like, five, six <laughs> minutes long. Yeah. And they don't really talk. They're like, this is Christian. And he's like, no, it isn't. He's like, this isn't. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, and we get to see that, like, uh, you know, our, our, sec- our protagonist is a little more serious about you know, keeping Christian right. stuff out than Liam Neeson. So, right. like, maybe he's really... But, um, I mean, like, that mm-hmm. dynamic, again, that could be a whole film. Right. 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 I'm far more... Pardon me. Far more interested in, like, what his like, life is like after he apostatizes. Mm. You know, what is it like... Yeah. We're walking around these Japanese places. What is right. it like talking about Japanese, mm-hmm. you know... Um, yeah. You know, Shinto and Buddhist like philosophy. And that stuff happens real fast. Real fast, yeah. Let's go back a little bit and talk about. Um, so the main the main two characters, I guess we could say. Um, I think it's Rodrigo, and I'm not remember the other character's name, but um, played by uh, Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so we have Andrew Garfield, who's kind of our protagonist here, the yeah. person we're following. How did you feel in general about their portrayals? Because I like both actors, um, but I felt like. Andrew Garfield couldn't quite handle what was being called for with that character. Like, yeah. He certainly gave it his all, I think, emotionally and tried to show the anguish and stuff, but I didn't quite believe it um, all the time. And I think we talked about this earlier that, you know, when he's having these conversations with um, uh, with the sort of Japanese representative, um, government representative who's kind of coming after the Christians, uh you know, we feel like he's trying to defend his faith against this other faith. They're coming against him, and he doesn't have great arguments, you know, like, um, no. to fight them uh, in, in these exchanges. So I, I don't know if, like, some of that was his fault in believing him portraying that character. I think some of it was the writing or what they spent time on. But, I mean, how did you... I felt like those the acting was a little bit weak or, like, they weren't quite up to par. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's um, it's a hard... It's a, I, I think it just at the, at the outset, mm-hmm. it's difficult to talk about 
somebody's acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's hard work. Like yeah, it's it not easy. Work. You know, especially like, in this film, yeah, right? You know, you're saying like you know with like you know the few millimeters of your eye. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, yeah, it's a difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, uh, I mean Andrew Garfield kind of stuck out. Yeah. I mean, like uh, that also uh, was part of it. Yeah. Like all of the Japanese actors in the mm-hmm. film, like. I mean, I believe they were in Japan at this time period. Right. They seemed really. I mean, they seemed to be like their characters. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know them from other work, so yeah, yeah. like I don't know that they're that they have a particular style. But mm-hmm. like, they seemed really convincing, and that they were at this place in time. I think Kylo right. Ren, um, I, he seemed to be appropriately stressed out about the fact <laughs> that they were like by themselves in this foreign place. And Andrew Garfield had this sort of smug protagonisty thing going on yeah. which I always don't like I mean I just I, I feel like the you know like the the force of the protagonist or whatnot uh, or what I call it, you know like always kind of kicks me out of the story right um, and I was like yeah I mean like he was like sitting in Hollywood and everybody else was sitting in like an independent studio um, and right. it, was just, it was just a little awkward I mean right. you know, and you know I thought maybe well maybe that's his character you know, mm-hmm. but I'm like, there are times when like the accents thinner than thicker, and it, you know, like it, it just yeah. it, it pokes the curtain a little bit, and I'm like, yeah. Right. But again, like, my main complaint is like, I, you know, is not about that fact, mm-hmm. um, but that like I, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in this time and place that we get to kind of see in the story, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't care about them very much, <laughs> and I don't know how to make them meaningful. Yeah. Like the guy, I don't remember his name, who like continually like... Chichiro? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Continually like goes to like, you denies know... He denies, Christ, he gets yeah, away. Right, I'm yeah. like... So that... I, I mean, the, 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 the first iteration of his story is interesting and powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of him throughout yeah. the rest of the film. What, what I've kind of thought through that part is that... Um, well, one one connection that it made for me is uh, Peter in the Bible, who yeah. denies Christ three times. Yeah, and certainly he is not somebody that you know Jesus kind of tossed away and was like, "Hey, you betrayed me! Like you're done!" Like he was right. used later, um, highly respected. So I think it was kind of giving us a character like that. Um, I also think you know it it balanced what eventually Andrew Garfield's character Rodrigo did to apostatize. And realizing, like, hey, I can have these, you know, uh, feelings and these doubts um, about my faith or what I do about them, but I can still know what's kind of inside or, like, you know, what I'm striving for. Yeah, yeah. And do, and, yeah. and there's a, after watching it, there's, I'm like, oh, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. your your faith, your mm-hmm. belief is, is actually internal. Right. Um, it just seems so very unprofound <laughs> for a film that that deals with so many different... I mean, you got guys on crosses in the ocean. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much going on there Mm -hmm. that what seems like a a truism or, you know, like a very mundane fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, your faith is inward and not outward. Um, It it was a long, hard way to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, it's also like you tell me in a sentence, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, You know, you get beautiful moving stirring stuff mm-hmm. along the way right. um it's just like i mean even in like kundun and mm-hmm. the last temptation of christ and even in mean streets like mm-hmm. you get deep interesting philosophical questions mm-hmm. um that you know like use that kind of use the conclusion of silence as a starting point to go deeper right. and i and i, I mean in, in sympathy to those that made the film i just assume that i'm just missing it 
Yeah. That there's there's yeah. some yeah. more there that I'm missing. Yeah. I mean, a few thoughts, like, uh, going back to kind of the character portrayals, I mean, I started to realize that, you know, Andrew Garfield's character and Adam Driver's, they were supposed to be sort of um, a little bit uh, juvenile in their thinking as far yeah, as their yeah, faith. Yeah. They were, um, you know, not really tested in what they believed compared to these Japanese uh, Christians, you know, that they were... Um, yeah. Certainly, I mean, they were willing to go and die and they, you know, usually tried to escape that as much as possible. And... Uh, um, couldn't believe you know the life they live sort of in hiding and things like that and i think that was that became evident that you know and even in those exchanges with uh is he the interrogator or the, the inquisitor inquisitor yeah. like the old funny yep. guy yeah the humorous guy yeah. which i thought was actually a great character oh i i he loved was, him yeah and i love that moment when andrew garfield's like i i deserve to see the inquisitor yeah <laughs> and they're all laughing and they're like what what you know yeah like i am um, the inquisitor yeah um so i realized he you know, he had this pride about his his Western sort of faith. Yeah. And um, coming into this world, which they they clearly say in the in the film, what they call it, sort of the um, the swamp or the muddy. Earth yeah, it's or a something. swamp. Nothing swamp. grows here. Yeah. Um, of Japan, that it wouldn't it wouldn't sort of take root there that faith. So, I mean, I understood that he was naive in the way that he was speaking, and he thought he could win these arguments on these kind of simple terms that he didn't understand yet um how it affected people in other cultures um, which i think is good commentary in general on uh you know religions and things like that yeah That's but see there's a yeah. historical piece about japan though is that yeah. like buddhism didn't come from japan i mean mm-hmm. it came from india through tibet to china and then over to japan like mm-hmm. over the course of very very a number of centuries yeah. you know you know interacting yeah. with uh confucianism from china you know, as well as, like, innate Shinto belief. And the way in which those things meld together to create, like, an amalgam of, you know, mm-hmm. social, political, cultural, and religious beliefs at that time period is really, really interesting mm-hmm. and just not at all part of the film. Um, right, which I did find some information about that, that since we brought it up, that um, I think the book was originally... I mean, I read that that was sort of the the national religion of, the, yeah, of yeah. those days. So even though, yes, it may not be the original, you know, native religion um, of Japan, it was like the established oh, religion um, of that m- Most certainly. Yeah. And I think that was uh, at least commentary of the book, maybe not of the film as much, mm. that um, of how in general he was saying, like this book was not written back in that time. So it was commentary on how Japan kind of did go through this trauma of dealing with adapting these different religions, this sort of nationalism yeah. that comes from that, and um, sort of uh, that's left over in the people. And I was also reading um, about how there's this general sense of the Japanese culture kind of doesn't like talk about some of those things from the past. Yeah. Um, and so that that is sort of relevant too in that. But I, I kind of saw that as something that could be applied to um even today that i think we're seeing in the way things are coming that's moving back more towards this like nationalism that we have to sort of protect you know even if it's you know something original to our country or whether we just say it is that we're trying to protect that from the outside and i think oh we, yeah yeah we i see mean that in the film that um 
you know, whatever you feel about, you know, how they approach bring Christianity there or whether it should be or whatever, but that these kind of people in power didn't want that to come in because it was a threat to their um, threat to their power. And now I think most people would think that the kind of bring the different cultures together, you know, makes us richer um, culturally and things like that. But I think there was still this shunning of other um, and a feeling of kind of weeding that out, you know, which is what we're seeing in our country right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things that I think the film does well, um, like in, I mean, I know in like, um, like in, in Ozu's films and, and in other Japanese films as well, like mm-hmm. um, Mizaki, Kurosawa, like how people are positioned in space is very important. It's a big mm-hmm. part of Japanese culture, like mm-hmm. the idea of place, yeah. station, mm-hmm. you know, rank, mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Um, you know, and so like you you have two contrasting communities. I mean, yeah. like the, the, the scenes with all the Christians are mm-hmm. uh, communal, huddled together. There's right. very few, like there's sometimes there's a guy in charge, but not really, mm-hmm. you know, they're, and they're just sort of like happy to have priests to do mm-hmm. things. It's very communal. And I think, you know, it echoes people that are interested in Christianity, like a lot of those early Christian, you know, places in Rome and whatnot. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and then the, the, the portrayals of where you interact with the Japanese government, whether they're there on an inquisition or you're in the place, mm-hmm. large open space, people's space is clearly delineated, you know, most person, most important person is slightly in front, a little bit higher, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all this sort of like uh, importance of place, station, right. um, and all that stuff, you know, yeah. very clear. Um, you know, and, and like, and it's, it was very, very clean and efficient, you know, yeah. his jail, you know, whereas like the places where the communities are sort of dirty and, right. you know, and, and, and the contrast of those two images is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it speaks a lot visually. Right. I just wanted somebody to talk about it. Yeah. You know, or, or even like have it brought to our attention in a way that it makes it more clear the dichotomy the story, between yeah. the two or, right. you know, or, or how we're, how, like, how, how you want me to view these things. I'm happy to make my own interpretation as well. Right. But, like, it wasn't, the oftentimes I'm not super clear, like, oh, like, what, what point are you making? You know, mm-hmm. and maybe he's like, ha, ah, like, I'm no, not I doing agree. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted a little more guidance as to I, what the person who's making the film thinks about it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that ending then, that end sequence, because I think this might fit your, uh, your often used yeah. definition of, of cutting the last 20. Yeah. Um, where it might have been more powerful to end on the scene, um, which I think is really well done of when he finally apostatizes and we get this great shot in slow motion of him sort of falling on his face in the dirt yeah. in front of it. And um, that might have spoken to the... Uh, to, you know, just the, the difficult nature of that moment of what he was feeling much more. Um, then it's we also, continue on. The it's also silent. It's also silent, yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think goes well with the film. And I do, I mean, I have to say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you mm-hmm. want me to say this here because it's yeah. true. Because if we do that, then we avoid hearing the voice of Christ or right. God. The other um, issue, yeah. Which I, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I, am, I like mm-hmm. films about philosophy Mm -hmm. and religion i like Mm -hmm. exploring those ideas i like questions but like when god actually talks to someone Mm -hmm. um i am i am done um you (laughs) know explain that a little more in the 
context of the film. So in the context of the film, like, um, I think it's actually right before he apostatizes. He, like, hears the voice because, of Jesus yeah. saying, like, you can step on my face. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and God sort of gives him permission to do this act. It, like, transforms his act. Mm-hmm. So this act is not actually an act of apostasy, but sort of like an act mm-hmm. of hiding or a, a, a fake act. Or, mm-hmm. um, uh, And I just, I mean, like, whenever God talks to people and says it's okay, like, it, mm-hmm. there's no absolutely no moral ambiguity involved yeah. in there at all and and i think that it's absolutely contrary to human existence on this planet mm-hmm. um i think that whether you're religious or not like the the important things you do in life mm-hmm. are done in the absence of certainty mm-hmm. like you you have to look at the world and come up with what you think is right and moral to do based on information yeah. it's not easy i mean mm-hmm. and the, the folks that i you know, dislike the most or think are the most misguided are absolutely certain that, well, God has said this or Jesus has said this. And I'm like, I I mean... Yeah, that can be dangerous. Yeah, and I I never buy it because I don't think that God or Jesus talks to people any God talks right. to people like that. But I don't think that's how... how they argue with someone that... Right, exactly. Like, and, you know, I mean, it's just like, that, yeah. you, you can't, there's nothing that can be done. Yeah. Um, and also, there's just something about uh, a movie that's called Silence and, and, you know, he spends so much time in that jail not knowing, mm-hmm. just begging for God to talk to him. I've, mm-hmm. For me, it would have been so much more powerful if he never does, <laughs> right? He makes this choice and... He just has to live with his own choices. There's yeah. no, the sky doesn't rip apart, you know, mm-hmm. like, and he gets right. to hear the voice of God. It just kind of ruins the whole thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I ultimately completely agree with you. I think it would have been more powerful for him not to have that voice in there. Um, although I think it's interesting that it kind of comes from nowhere and it's a different voice. Here's a few counter thoughts, though. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I read the uh, endo, the author, uh, was sort of, forced upon with the title by his publisher silence Silence, he didn't like it yeah um he actually felt like uh the book was about not strictly silence but god speaking within silence yeah coming from silence so i think if we can interpret it more that way we can think maybe that was something scorsese was tapping into that like yeah the voice needed to be heard because that's what it was about that like ultimately he finally did hear through the silence yeah um, but I think I would have, I think it would have been more powerful to see that visually or something, you know, like through nature. Yeah, or... yeah I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, it, yeah. you know, Thomas Merton talked at length about like the power of silence, you know, mm-hmm. that Thomas Merton is a very uh, famous and prominent Catholic monk and writer. Yeah. Um, one of the more famous in the United States, um, wrote a lot about, uh, you know, the Hesiod movement, uh, mm-hmm. medieval Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, some of the few monks that did sort of more classic or classically Asian meditation on silence. They had a particular prayer that they would do. But the idea was that, like, like all meaningful things come from silence, yeah. you know, and, and it is in silence, you know, of yourself and of, you know, of your person mm-hmm. and of the world that you you are able to, to see and hear, like, the divine things. Yeah. Um, but that like this, those divine things are like self same with the silence. Mm-hmm. They don't arise from it. They mm-hmm. are it. It is yeah. the silence which is um, where the meaning um, and knowledge and attainment of that knowledge exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't sit silently and then God talks to you. Yeah. You sit silently and understand the meaning and power of the silence. Mm. So like. I would have been totally happy if the rest of the film was silent. Yeah. Or like, because I, I liked how absence 
you know, white space mm-hmm. and silence was used in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to have actual an actual voice at mm-hmm. this climactic moment of the story, whether it's called silence or not, right. um, it just it, it made it effort, cheap. Yeah. Um, because I think that the choice to apostatize has to come is, is far more meaningful when he doesn't even know if it's right. Yeah. You know, he just he finally makes the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, and that that feels like a, a terrible choice of despair. <laughs> and I would like to see what he does after that. Yeah. Here's my other theory, which I don't know if uh, holds water. But um, I do believe I think we hear a voice one other time. Uh, he is looking in the water at one point yeah. in the river and we see and I think previously in the film we saw this insert of an image like a painting of Jesus yeah. which I think was supposed to be uh, Rodrigo's association of how he viewed yeah. and did, did, do you know what that image is it's one that Martin Scorsese loves to death All right. um, it's a particular icon called the Pantocrator okay. um, it's a two-faced uh, uh, face of Jesus. Okay. Um, it's designed in complete symmetry. Um, it creates a very strange smile, mm-hmm. but one half. It traditionally it's like one half of him is has a stern face and is holding the book, yeah. representing the law. Uh-huh. Um, the other half of his face is smiling and his sort of shoulders raised, so he's like being jovial and about to sort of embrace you, okay. representing the loving aspect of Christ. Mm. Um, and it's. I mean, it comes from. Um, you know the, the great icon painters tradition has been around for yeah. a long time, but it it, it, it it represents this like dual nature dual of Christ. Reality, yeah. You know that he he is both um, bring brought a doctrine Divine. of love yeah. and also um, the law. Uh, yeah, you know like is part of that lineage of the law. And right. I think it's more, um, you know, and this also like um, is explored deeply in like the Last Temptation of Christ, both the book and the movie. Right. You know, it, right. I mean, it's it's both like not just like is Christ wholly divine or wholly human. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, is he, is the doctrine of love enough or do we also mm-hmm. have to follow the rules? I mean, it's something yeah. that's sort of at the heart of Christianity. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that might, that play, might play into it even more that we see that reflection of that icon yeah. in the water kind of overlapped over his own yeah. face reflection. I likely with Simba. So I like, yeah, yeah. I like to think that, um, this is more possibly, we're meant to think maybe this is him creating the voice of God to approve his apostasy in his own yeah. mind. And uh, that relates back to um, the film The The Messenger um, mm-hmm. about Joan of Arc where there's this whole section in the last half where she's in prison and she's supposedly kind of talking to God or what we see as a reputation of God, which is um, Dustin Hoffman, of course. Um, it's the first thing you think of of God, right? Mel Brooks. Um, <laughs> and uh, so she's having this conversation, and eventually it's, it's basically that, it's kind of this idea of rooting out any sort of like selfish concepts or ideas of you thinking that you're, uh, like you said, kind of doing things in God's name, and you have this... Um, higher power or higher knowledge than somebody else and, and that qualifies anything bad even that you do um, and that or weakness that you have and, and so ultimately it comes to a point where she kind of seen as like her own voice um, working through that speaking yeah. to it and she has to get through that to kind of hear God clearly which we don't ever quite get as like a real like this is truly the voice of God now that you made it but she kind of gets past that so I like to think of it that way um, I yeah, don't like, know that most people will take it that way or see it that way, but um, 
You know, it's like it's him making up God's voice in his own head. Right. Kind of approving um, what he thinks he's he's supposed to do or can do now. Yeah. Do it. Um, my other way of kind of rationalizing the ending, which I again I think is awkward, um, since the rest of the film moves so slowly and uh and kind of fits in with that silence that suddenly we get this kind of breeze through of the end of his life yeah i mean it, it it's an epilogue yeah i mean and i so i think my other thinking is uh if we're gonna get a little extra textual because that's what we do on the show um is if we look at scorsese and his own feelings and what we can interpret from his other films mm-hmm. that he has struggled with his faith and kind of the reality of the world. Yeah. Um, kind of what we might call like the, the gritty streets, you know, of modern America mm-hmm. or whatever. And he uh, famously, you know, entered the priesthood to become a priest and then dropped out. Because, you know, um, his own issues, you know, loved women and worldly things or whatever. And so uh, I think if we can see in this film, maybe the reason for him, that ending was very important. Um, yeah. to the story, whether it was told well or not. Um, I, th- I like to think that that is important to his own journey and trying to be like, well, I may not always portray these things well or live this. <clears throat> and he's also famously Catholic, which comes with a lot of guilt maybe and things like that, that he's trying to deal with, um, deal with things. And he's dealt with uh, um, addiction and stuff like that in his life to drugs. But so we kind of see the character at the end implies he's kept his faith the whole time, right? Yeah. Um, and shared it with others. And shared it with others, yeah. But more, as we said, an internal kind of Yeah, yeah. And grown, um, grown comfortable with that understanding of his faith by the end. So I, I don't know if that quite makes it <laughs> meaningful, like you said, as it should be, or how deep that is. Um, what it made me feel, but that's kind of where I felt like that's yeah. why that ending was in there. Yeah, I mean, perhaps. but I mean, the, I'm sympathetic to that point of view for a number of reasons. Yeah. One, um, I don't know why that that ending matters to that character because mm-hmm. I could, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I could take a care less because it's a bold thing to say, but like, I don't really care whether he maintains his Christianity or not. Mm-hmm. It's not interesting to me. Again, like, what's interesting is like, what is his life like? Right. How does he Definitely. talk to people? Mm-hmm. I mean, like he, you know, he, he inherits another man's wife. Right. Um. He's you know like a very famous former Christian. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, like again, right. like like what are the philosophical conflicts between the nationalistic Buddhism of the time period mm-hmm. and the pan-nationalistic Catholicism of the time period? Sure. Um, and, I, and I would have liked to hear like a continuation of his probably discussions with the Liam Neeson character, you know? Oh, and like, the, I just want to see, like, own, him yeah. and the Inquisitor for the rest. I want to, yeah. like, have the Inquisitor right. have him over for tea and, like... Right. talk through it. And his yeah. wife is the one that kind of leaves the yeah. the cross with him when he's burning. So, like, obviously they had this deeper relationship that we don't get at all, you know? Yeah. Like, we hardly, like you said, understand that he took right. someone you else's know. wife, but we don't see any... Yeah, and, and maybe part of what he's doing is, like, showing you, like, oh, like, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot deeper things here that you don't see in the world i mean yeah. it, it seems like it's it seems like it was more about other things about himself about the world in general and not so much about you know this particular character in this film mm-hmm. um you know and, and that's totally fine but it, it seemed like it was like a vehicle for this enshrining of this image of a man you know holding tightly you right. know to his 
um, his, you know, the, and, and, and it's a Christianity that was given to him by a Japanese man. Like that, that is a, a crucifix given to him by the guy he shows up on the island. So it's right. like maybe he's holding on to something different than what he came with. It's not the mm-hmm. rosary he gave away. It's not a rosary from something. It's, it's a, a new kind of faith that he gets from being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, that's, it has some meaning, but it, it, it seems where it seems to pass beyond being about the character. Right. Um, and, and to be an, an abstract presentation of an idea. Right. Which is, again, totally fine. It's hard. It, it's, there's a lot of us reasoning in silence about it. Right. Because um, there isn't a lot of, um, you know, contextual guidance given to what it's intended to mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the last thing I kind of want to bring up, unless you have anything else, uh, is uh, so I was looking online to do a little research on this film. And apparently Scorsese kind of partnered with this artist that I've kind of followed for a while. Um, uh, this fine artist uh, is a painter. So he's Japanese, Makado Fujimoro, and um, he kind of does more abstract art and stuff. So uh, he released a book called um, Beauty and Silence, and which has included his artwork and some of his thoughts um, related to the book and the film. So I did find some interesting thoughts from him. Um, on the film to kind of help bring this together. So yeah. again, I think we could we could discuss. I haven't read the book. Um, I've read other another book by Endo, but um, whether or not these things get pulled from the book into the film, you know, those concepts. Um, Fujimoto kind of talks more about uh, the book a little bit more and what's coming from that. So he was kind of mentioning that it exposes the cultural trauma. Um, that the Japanese often choose to kind of stay silent on. So I kind of mentioned that earlier. So I think for him, it was a lot about dealing with sort of trauma of the past and, you know, how do we deal with silence from God or, you know, in our faith when we're going through these hard things or even in the face of, you know, um, suffering and stuff in the world. And certainly in the film, we experience experience a lot of the suffering i mean i think the one of the most powerful scenes for me was the the guys being um crucified in the in the water yeah as the waves came up um which was pretty brilliantly kind of shot and we kind of see uh our kind of protagonist watching from afar and dealing with that but um that was that was handled really well um but uh i think just looking at uh, what this artist was saying and it kind of just brought some things to light um, about how to consider the film and yeah. he also mentioned maybe the silence is not just from God but like that last sort of epilogue um, yeah. is the silence of these characters in their faith yeah. um, that they had to deal with and, yeah. and that can be true of people we don't know sort of what's going on internally yeah, and, and there's this Catholic, um, I don't know, there, there's, a, there's a theme of that in Catholicism that I've seen. I mean, I used to work at Edgewood High School here in town, mm-hmm. and their patron saint is um, uh, Father Patrick Matz Kelly. Yeah. Um, and they're working on, they're, they're, they're making a petition for sainthood. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, you know, he's like a cool dude. Um, <laughs> when he died, he had this uh, penance chain, you know, like sort of embedded into his flesh that he'd been wearing his entire life. No one had any idea why, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, he, he never yeah. spoke about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they, they carried around and, you know, they cure people with cancer with it and yeah. whatever the kind of stuff they do. Um, but um, the, the idea that like he could spend, like the silence in his life about this thing mm-hmm. made it powerful. 
Right. You know, so that when it's discovered or when, when it's seen or investigated, it has all the much more power. And there is a lot of power in silence in that case. Mm. Um, you know, and so, like, there's... Um, here we go again. Yeah, so... Um, kind of finishing up talking about uh, Mikado Fujimura. Um, I think tying in what you're saying, the the sort of suffering that we see in the world yeah. and especially he he was kind of saying how growing up in Japan he saw this even within sort of uh, a deep understanding of things or going through trauma and suffering that yeah. the Japanese culture kind of holds on to those things and kind of internalizes them yeah. and he kind of sees that you can have beauty through going through those things um, yeah. kind of like you're saying that that can have benefits and even his artwork and painting he sort of um, does this traditional style of like grinding up uh, mineral pigments and stuff, mm -hmm. and then does does kind of layers of paint to kind of reveal something else. So yeah. I think he he equates that with the kind of way that we kind of you know deal with these things in our lives and kind of grind them up and become something else um, out of them. Um, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, I mean, the, kind of broken things that. I mean, the bit about cultural trauma makes me think about um, uh, Solomon Rushdie and Midnight's Children, um, which is. Um, have you guys read that? I read that. Uh, I mean, it's about a whole lot of things about Indian independence, um, but primarily, like the the climax is about like um, the emergency period under Indira Gandhi, okay. um, in which, uh, I mean, it, emergency is like a. It's like a euphemism. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was like mass forced sterilization campaigns. There was, you know, campaigns of targeting and killing political rivals. Um, mm -hmm. It was during this time period that like, um, um, like the Khalistan movement for this uh, uh, Sikh separatist in the northwest province of the Punjab were seeking independence. Um, and uh, uh, rebels in that particular movement hid in the Golden Temple, uh, mm -hmm. one of the most sacred places in all of Sikhdom. Okay. Um, Indira Gandhi had the National Guard gun them down in this place. <laughs> and several years later, she was assassinated by one of her Sikh bodyguards, mm -hmm. which proves the adage that a good friend of mine in college said, you don't fuck with the Sikhs. <laughs> um, but there was a, a, just a, a period of time when, like, martial law was declared, and it was, like, a just a massive mess in the mm -hmm. mid-'70s in India. And it was, like, um, massive, massive damage was done to all kinds of communities. Right. Um, you know, and, like... Um, in Minette's Children, sort of like that, that's the climactic end of the story. That's sort of where we spend time starting in independence, getting to there. Um, and he, he portrays it as a, or the Salman Rushdie portrays it as like, it's, it's the final disappointment of the magical promise of mm -hmm. independence. Yeah. Like it isn't until things just utterly fall apart mm -hmm. um, during the emergency under Indira Gandhi that, that the, the, you know, that, that they really see the, full horrible weight of the mess that they find themselves in right. um in some places you know because the part of the and, and the story is like a very a very different storytelling style to silence i mean mm -hmm. like midnight children is fantastical over the top okay. you know like when like at the stroke of midnight when when um india gains independence mm -hmm. uh, 1947 um 
uh, a bunch of children, like all the children born at that exact moment, all have me- like supernatural powers, like superpowers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, our character has a gigantic nose and <laughs> face looks like India. Um, and it's just this fantastic. I mean, it's a, one of my favorite books. A fantastic journey, but um, it like all of their powers sort of um, are taken away by the uh, emergency and by the actions that are taken by Indira Gandhi and by this horrible green and black woman herself. Um, You know, and it, uh, it's, it's both one, like showing how, you know, what started in the early 1940s, you know, died in the 1970s. And it also, you know, written in, I think the late eighties or early nineties as a way of like going back and like trying to make sense and talk about like, what kind of cultural facets were killed then? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it wasn't like people died, things happened. It's like what what in, like, the grand psyche mm-hmm. of of the nation was yeah. uh, damaged yeah, in that? Right. You know, and so yeah. I think that to talk about um, uh, Fujimura's take on silence and, and the way that Japanese culture deals with it, there there are some sort of... I don't know items or ideas or concepts that mm-hmm. are entirely collectively cultural. Mm-hmm. You know, or, I don't know they're collective. You know, they're yeah. not possessed by any individual right. person. Right. So you can only talk about them, you know, collectively. Like you know, like yeah. you by saying like, here's what we did at this time, but here's here's how what, you know, what we have done in our history, how that shapes who we are and how mm-hmm. we deal with um, these traumas. Yeah. Um, kind of lastly, I just want to hear your opinion on, you know. Through the film, coming out of it, did you feel like maybe Scorsese was giving kind of a balanced, somewhat perspective between the two cultures kind of clashing together? Like like they said, like Christianity couldn't completely grow in this, you know, swamp. Um, and the Inquisitor was quite, you know, convincing in, in his arguments more than... Rodrigo and so it could be kind of felt like well we're just kind of presenting these two sides and we're kind of focusing on the struggle that this Catholic or uh, Jesuit priest went through Um, but I think the very final text of the film is you know in memory of these Christians that died right so like I think that point for me makes me think like well this was a very personal film for Scorsese he wasn't simply presenting Oh yeah, like, I mean, I don't like this is. I don't think there's any balanced portrayal. I mean, like yeah. the, the Japanese Buddhism that is presented is mm-hmm. like there's no philosophy at all. It's only power. Right. Um, and I mean, like I don't know enough about this time period to say mm-hmm. um, that much about it. But mm-hmm. I know at other times in Japanese history, like yeah. you know, much later, mm-hmm. um, there is a strong balance between you know, those that are using Buddhism for political control and those that are using Buddhism for personal education and those that are using Buddhism for, like, managing of small communities, you know, mm-hmm. and those that are, like, yeah. you know, integrating Buddhism and Confucianism and other sorts of things and, mm-hmm. you know, in a hodgepodge daily life of stuff, you yeah. know, those that are committed to it academically or spiritually, you know, mm-hmm. like... Um, and so, I, I... And in the story, like, the, the Christian characters, both Japanese and... The priests are nice, sympathetic, good people. Right. Um, and the, the, the Japanese Buddhists never talk about the philosophical underpinnings or mm-hmm. even a good reason right. why they have something to offer the Japanese people other than this is what do they do. Right. And they cut people's heads off and torture people. Right. Um, and certainly there could have been an interesting 
dichotomy brought up between you know how silence in Buddhism was would be kind of viewed as like a positive you know yeah. like uh, experience that brings you to a deeper place yeah I mean there's just it, like, like we're gonna talk about like medieval Catholicism right. and like make other people look bar look like barbarians for torture mm-hmm. like there's a right. whole lot of that going on in various parts of Europe for centuries right, right. under the Catholic Church and the Inquisition and a yeah. whole variety of other things mm-hmm. um, so it, there's I mean I don't mean to be all grumpy pants about it, yeah. but there, there's a disingenuous portrayal. I mean, the Je- I mean, like the Jesuits and certainly the Cistercians and other particular orders of mm-hmm. Catholicism mm-hmm. Um, um, have historically devoted themselves to much purer causes, yeah. education, you know, um, bringing the light and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they are still part of a, a you know a, a gigantic larger Catholic institution right. that has nearly identical concerns to the Japanese people mm-hmm. that are presented in this film. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's not, you know, like maybe it's not about them, mm-hmm. right? You know, maybe it's just about Japan and these, um, these characters who come from the West are, you know, merely there to bring out something that we, you know, that we want to talk about Japan about right. um, or something in Japan that we want to talk about. Right. Um, but it, it's hard for me to both see these priests as both just people mm-hmm. um, and representative of these larger things mm-hmm. because they seem to be just good little christian folks right um and the japanese um political figures are not are barely individual people right um and are just representations of this large monolithic thing which is mm-hmm. maybe a statement about them right. but it also you know it, it makes some of the scenes a little silly right or yeah. i mean to use your word awkward yeah you know like we have someone speaking in very big like representing japanese buddhism or a mm-hmm. perspective and like a particular individual Catholic mm-hmm. Jesuit priest. Right. Um, right, that we see day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think ultimately, I think that's some of the uh, the reasons this is a hard film. It's got yeah. a very specific perspective. It doesn't give us a lot of answers, which I think is part of the point that um, sometimes there's a lot more questions than answers. Uh, but I think we both ultimately also felt the same way that, like, I had hoped and kind of felt like maybe there's something more there that I'm not getting yeah. that they were intending or hoping that there was. Um, and maybe I'll continue to struggle with that. But uh, I also have a feeling like maybe it was just not handled quite well enough to yeah. to bring out those other things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean to, 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 to cross film genres, I mean, they're yeah. like, I, Harold and Maude is like one of my favorite this is just a, a film that I love a great deal. Yeah. Um, and I remember um, talking with a, a, a student that I was working with, and I was like, yeah, I signed the student to watch the film. And the dad's like, why are you watching that film? It's just kind of like a silly film. I'm like, it's about the Holocaust. And he's like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, yeah. and so there's this, you know, there's one scene in the film where you get, you know, they're, they're I mean, first of all, like, Maud is talking about her husband in Vienna for, like, ad nauseum, but we don't know what happens to him. I mean, right. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a scene where they go, I think they're out on a date by a lake or something, and we get, you know, we get to see her concentration camp tattoo. Right. Um, you know, and it, this film's about a lot of things, but it's about, like, you know, a, a kid who, like, is so troubled with life that he fakes his death so many mm-hmm. times that his mother isn't troubled by it, mm-hmm. to a woman who has, like, you know, faced the, the gaping maw of human destruction <laughs> right. and chooses to, like make bubbles and you know <laughs> scent things and steal trees yeah. um you know and, and for that reason has both like a, a a deep thing deep commentary about surviving the holocaust and deep mm-hmm. commentary about stuff in life mm-hmm. um but like there's this fact that sort of allows you to interpret the film in a totally different way and it gives yeah. you direction about what stuff means and i don't think that all films have to have that um and certainly that's like a 
an extreme version of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I could have used a little more, right? Um, a little more guidance as to what um, the author is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, whether that be the author of the book or the you know the um, maker of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it had like a documentary feel to it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like, here's here's some events. Just observing, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's not. It's a historical <laughs> historical piece. Yeah. Um, and so I needed. To, I just felt like I wanted a little bit more because I will work. I mean, I will. Right. And, and we're not talking Donnie Darko like nonsense work. <laughs> like I, you know, I I will like bring in Struggle things from it, the rest yeah. of my life to try to make meaning. Sure. Um, which you know, I think we've gotten a lot out of this conversation about it, and I hope mm-hmm. that the listeners have as well. Yeah. Um, but I did, you know. The visual images seem to be so deliberate and well composed and immaculate in some places. Right. The way they changed, um, that that there was elements of the story that seemed like it just wasn't on the same level, mm-hmm. and like it didn't have the same yeah. uh, attention to detail right. or um, fineness mm-hmm. to it. That yeah. was a disappointment. Yeah, I agree. Um, great. Yeah. Good conversation. Yeah, that's all, all we're going to cover for, for this episode. Um, slightly shorter, hopefully. Yeah, it's a little um, bit shorter. Episode. Yeah. So, it's under uh, an hour. Thanks for listening, and um, we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yep. Yeah.